Hello music lovers, this is Wesley Stace and when I'm not drinking bourbon I'm listening to the Jukebox Graduate and sometimes even both at the same time. Today we're the Jukebox Graduates. That's right. Do you know what that means? I'd like to think so. <laughs> Why should this be any different than anything else <laughs> for you? No, um, we're Jukebox Graduates because uh, kind of lifted from the notion that somehow rock and roll and, rec- and, and music and records have formed some, uh, have been an informal education, formative part of our, our lives, right? Yeah, acts as a guideline in, in a lot of people's lives. Certainly mine. Yeah, so, yeah, some more than others. And I yeah. think we kind of were kind of those record geeks that kind of were on the, at some points, the extreme end of the scale. We read the back of the album cover. Yes. We stay in the car till the song's done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's that. There's, there's also um, having arguments with significant others. And the reason we're not saying anything is because we're actually applying an old specific lyric to this moment. <laughs> and we know that if we say that out loud, things will not get better. Right. <laughs> um yeah, so we're like, oh, this is this is not a time to mention a very clever Elvis Costello moment right here. I should just focus. Yeah, but don't make it a scene out of Diner. <laughs> yeah, or that. Right. There's a good, there's a, but I mean, when you, you remember first seeing Diner, yeah. and I mean, of course, it, this seems kind of, that scene is extreme, but I appreciated that scene because it's a very um, honest and it's as vulnerable as that character could possibly be mm-hmm. with, with, his, with his young wife. And he's just trying to show her why the, why this matters, this structure, the order, why the, the 45s are where they are, and he's trusting it. And in fact, th- that same actor, it's very interesting, that same actor, Daniel Stern, Daniel Stern, has, and I don't know if it was written for him because of the diner scene, but that in City Slickers, he has a great monologue. It's turned around a campfire, and it's Helen Slater is the girl that that's along with them on that, what, what do we call it, that roundup experience. Mm-hmm. Right? And guys are talking about sports or whatever and she says what this doesn't matter it's not like it doesn't matter and they start arguing about it and, and daniel stern's character says she's right it doesn't matter it doesn't matter but then he goes into the thing about when he couldn't speak to his father about anything when they weren't communicating yeah, at all yeah. at, 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 during his adolescence they could talk about baseball it was real mm-hmm. it, it was always going to come up every spring and the stats were the stats and the teams were the teams and it, it was a it was a it was there was a consistency about it and you could always talk about it. The rules of baseball were going to stay the same. And it's funny that that actor gets that type of yeah, probably, male defense <laughs> of, of, of the, the, the silly things upon, upon which we rely. He gets it not one, but in two movies. Yeah. So, so then, so I don't know if Daniel Stern himself is a jukebox graduate, but, but it's we'll a, have to have him on. We'll sometime. Have to ask him. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Yeah. Get off my lawn. <clears throat> um, right. <laughs> but, but we met and we met, you and I met. What year did we meet? Uh, I want to say it was mid late nineties, ninety seven, ninety eight. I mean, I guess. Okay. Um, we met through music. I moved out here in July of ninety six to be with the uh, the legendary Russell Scott. And Russell, it was a truly legendary band. It was in the 90s. And I mean that they 
it's the 90s, so there's not a lot of footage of them. No. You know? Uh, yeah. I found out about them through uh, what would we now call a bootleg cassette. Yeah. You know, soundboard recording from a club. I overheard it, kind of stole it. I started asking people around. You know, it took it would take a while to find a band that was that that was that hard to find. <laughs> and then you'd hear the stories about the band at the same time. You'd be how great they were musically. It's a three piece rockabilly band, but it just starts with rockabilly. But at any point, we would do "Killing Moon" by Echo and the Bunnymen. Yeah, and then we would do a Ray Charles, like, a, like "Drown in My Own Tears," and then we would shift to the Ballad of Thunder Road by Robert Mitchum. And and then and then we would do one of Russell's absolutely charming, swinging, kind of country pop rockabilly songs, and you just yeah, his songs were great. And then I remember you would you would pull out like tunes from the Mavericks and uh, Squeeze. Well, yeah, I had been coming out of I'd been playing country music uh, essentially for about five years solid up to that point. We could be coming out of Arizona. If you wanted a paying gig, most likely you're going to play country music. Right. And throughout the the early '90s, mid '90s, you had to play covers. You know, Dwight, yeah. Mavericks, yeah. Steve Earle, any of the Rodney Crowell stuff coming up. I mean, you just hoping that they would have a hit because you, they'd give you perfect excuse to play their stuff. Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, I was coming in from that angle and then always having been a, a secret, just pure pop fan, mm-hmm. you know, finding a way to, to, yeah, to get a, a squeeze song in there or something like that. Of course, that's the great thing about Russell. Was, well, if it's good, we're just going to do yeah, it. Yeah, he was totally open. It didn't matter when yeah, it was it coming matter. from. And, um, but we had a residency every Thursday night. We play at Linda's Doll Hut. Yeah. World famous, legendary. Yeah, are they doing a movie on this? They on are. The There's a doc coming out uh, this year, sometime I believe. I've God. been in touch with Linda about it. Man, and we'll, we'll my affection uh, for that place. We'll make mention of more info on that as it comes. Yeah, to that, light. I have such affection for that place. The people I met there. Um, I mean, yeah. There's just nights like I just can't believe. <laughs> I can't believe the things that happened in that room. Uh, <laughs> good and bad. Also, I'm pretty much predominantly just good. Uh, great. Th- those are my memories. I never had a bad experience there, aside from the smell of urine. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> I mean, the place is tiny. I mean, it's 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 still there. It's not Linda's any longer, but right. it's it's a little roadhouse and sort of a it's kind of like an industrial area. And uh, a friend of mine, Gary Fitch, was uh, he was booking shows at uh, Cal State Stanislaus, mm-hmm. and uh, he's telling me he's all, dude, I can't come down there, but I'm going to send my dat recorder down there. I need you to go to the doll hut on Thursday night and I need you to record Russell Scott and his red hots. They're, they're fantastic. And <clears throat> describing Russell's gravelly voice and the kinds yeah. of songs and this, it's a trio and the, just the sound they make. And I'm like, okay. So went down there with uh, another buddy of mine and we, we bootlegged a, a show or two and I yeah. was, I was hooked by the end of night one for sure. So, uh, as you mentioned, you were, uh, turned on to Russell by a bootleg yeah. tape. Well, I was, Turned on to Russell by bootlegging by having to do it. Asia by having to do it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so I started becoming a, a Thursday night regular there. Yeah. And um, I met you in between sets. And I remember the girlfriend of mine that I had at the time just like, you know, giving me, you know, folded arms, kind of like giving me a little bit of the eye. Like, you guys, and she told me, she's like, you guys are just a bunch of chatty Kathy dolls yeah. there. Because Gary had told me, Gene, he's like, He's a Springsteen guy. You should talk with so him. I don't even know how he knew that. I must have, yeah, I must have had a conversation. With I, him. Yeah, I don't know, but that's, that's, I'm like, he knew it. okay, okay, I'll talk with him. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that was, introduced myself. And then I think we haven't stopped talking since. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, there's several things in life. Um, I think Dana Gould in his recent podcast said when you, for him, when he meets somebody 
and he finds out that the other person knows who Floyd Ackerman is. And Floyd Ackerman was the editor of a of a, a monster a monster movie magazine way back when. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as that other person knows that, that's almost a five hour conversation. You don't even have to buy it. Right? That. Yeah, you just file it away. Like, yeah, okay, right. so, okay, we so, don't need to cover that. So anymore. I think when we met, we can, <laughs> once we realized that we could rattle off dates of particular concerts from the Darkness on the Edge of Town tour. Um, I mean, this is embarrassing. There, if you ask me about uh, uh, throw a date out from 1984, I can barely, I can, I can't really remember what grade I was in or what was going on, but I can tell you where the Born in the USA tour was geographically, <laughs> you know, um, and 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 what changes that were happening yeah. in the set list, and and um, and there's people. It's all you know. Again, baseball. They could tell you the, the lineup. Yeah. Of any, and it's just something we... That's our common ground. The, the yeah. Bruce Springsteen is mm-hmm. yours and my mm-hmm. common ground. Yeah, and, and once we established that, how we suggested other artists to each other, it's like we knew, like, well, if you like this, have you checked this out and have you checked this out? And then it grew... Clearly, Elvis Costello was another big thing that you and I <clears throat> were... Yeah. A guy we closely followed. Um, and I know for me in terms of music being back to the idea of it being a life lesson, not just the soundtrack to our lives, but almost part of the text Mm -hmm. (laughs) or direction. Uh, My parents were really young when they had me, like like 20 years old. And so, you know, listening to music in the house, I grew up in an FM house in the Mm -hmm. seventies. My parents, because they were so young, um, they didn't listen to AM radio and, and the records they bought, you know, my pop, he, he would buy, whatever the new albums that were coming out at the time. At the same time, he had all these old albums, obviously um, all, the, all the Beatles. Um, one of my, one of our favorites, my dad and I, we loved the, uh, the parrot records, them. Here comes. Oh the yeah, night album. yeah. Yeah. That thing <laughs> front to back. Yes. Incredible. Right. Just that's a whole journey right there. Um, and also there was, and I saw, you know, around that time, HBO must have been running the Buddy Holly story with Gary Busey. Mm-hmm. And I was clearly riveted. Every time it came on, I had to watch the whole thing. So I thought, huh. And I think my parents kind of saw that. And then by, by 1980, uh, my parents decided to take me to my first concert, which was, which was Springsteen mm-hmm. uh, in uh, Tempe on November 5th. It was the the night after Reagan was elected right. and part of the Blu-ray uh, uh, it's part of the, the river reissue came out with that show. My first concert that ties a buy in box set. Yeah. Um, which was great. Cause it's like the first major. Yeah. Movie. Can you imagine that? Like getting to like, that's, that's like a huge explosion in the universe for you and to wait 30, <laughs> what, 35, yeah. 36 years or whatever. And it's like, oh, well, here it is fully edited. Yeah, we got a five camera and, shot uh, of this. Yeah, exactly. And now you can, you can relive can it. Can I tell you something? I, <laughs> I got to tell you something. I, I got it. I didn't get it right away. I mean, I didn't go out and buy it right away. I, like maybe a month or two went by. Man. And then even when I got it home, I didn't, watch it. I didn't watch it right away. Why? Was, you didn't well, want to ruin something? I wasn't something? sure. I, like, I was like, what, well, Jesus. Is my memory so much different than what it really was? Well, honestly. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to, it can't change it. I make my no. life as a musician. It's, I'm not going to. But you're going to watch it now with all the knowledge and experience it, since it, then. It all, it was, it was exactly. It's not going to change you again. And was that it that you didn't want to. I don't know what. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It was just, imagine, just imagine it's not a concert. Just someone says, oh, you remember that first cathartic experience you had? <laughs> Here's footage of it. <laughs> Would you sink your teeth into it or not? So, uh, uh, but 
all the specific stuff I remembered. I was like, oh yeah, that's 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 how I remembered it. Wow, that's yep, I, that's yeah, fantastic. Okay, there it is. So <laughs> that was uh, pleasant, uh, and it also is it's one of those things where man, I've lived long enough because not only can I just see that show again, and, and believe me, after that concert, I mean, I walked around, I was bumping into walls, right? Because it was just like <laughs> I, I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah, uh, I didn't know how I was going to get there. Now, how old were you then? Seven. Wow. And there was just no option. Other than maybe being a third baseman for the San Diego Padres. Right. Back to the baseball thing. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, and Craig Nettles seemed to be settling into that position right around that time. So, so you were out. Yeah, maybe I was out. Um, but I just wanted more. And, and growing up in Yuma, Arizona, there's not a lot. I mean, the, yeah. the tours aren't coming through Yuma, right. Arizona. And this is before MTV. So I just got to play the records. You just got to play records. And then also going back to the Buddy Holly story thing, you know, my dad had those albums and he had the Richie Valens albums and he had Elvis. So I would listen, I would go from Buddy Holly to Springsteen to Cheap Trick to them to Led Zeppelin, bouncing around. And I really didn't think of it in terms of chronology. Meaning my dad didn't say, well, this is Richie Valens. And he's from the fifties. Right. That statement was not made. I could tell, okay, the, the, the photographs look a little different. The yeah, hair's a little sure. different, but I didn't really think of it as, so it was all just jumbled into valuable music and they all had something to right, teach. Right. They all had something to say. And, um, and so the obsession starts right around there. And also I think it was just, I think I was at that, I was a real shy little boy, you know, just real, I was just real, real shy kid. And then, but right around that time, I get real chatty. I get really, I start to get very, because I just knew that no matter what, I had a fallback. And so my parents got a guitar for me and I just, I clearly I was just, it was just I mean, practically get in the shower with the guy. I mean, just, I wouldn't <laughs> set that thing down. So who, what, yeah. when did the bug get you? For me, um, well, I always remember having... By the way, I don't mean the Springsteen bug. I mean music. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I I remember um, growing up hearing a lot of my father's music, either in the car. Um, I think that's where I got turned on to Johnny Cash through the one of the Prison Live albums. Mm -hmm. Um, The Waylon and Willie records Mm -hmm. um, of the time. I remember a particular Roy Clark live album that I... uh, that was played a lot uh-huh. over and over. And I think I loved his, Very I love the songs. I mean, yesterday when I was young, things like that, but the storytelling yeah. and his, his humor, because of course <laughs> hee haw was, was on the television He's a as national well. Figure, yeah. So yeah, I knew what he looked like. I knew that smile mm-hmm. and I could see that when I was listening to his records. And, uh, so that was great. But I think the, my, my earliest musical memory, uh, was, hearing sundown by Gordon Lightfoot on the radio. And I was like maybe five, I guess, but I, I distinctly remember it. And I lived in long beach, California at the time. Mm-hmm. And we lived on this really interesting street where it was right up against one of those flood control uh, <laughs> things. So like our side of the street was all houses. The opposite side of the street was all ice plant you uh, know, leading up to that, you know, yeah, yeah. that ridge. And uh, so we would get great views of the sunsets. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, hearing a song like Sundown, which living in that area and seeing what I was seeing and being at that age, I, that, that affected me. And I think I just, that was my very first meaningful musical experience in my life. 
And I've actually had the occasion to, or two occasions to meet Gordon, to tell him that might've been the thing that like ticked for me, um, that pushed me towards the interest of, of music, not just as background, but as something that got my attention. And I started looking for the next one, the next thing like that, whatever it may have been. Yeah. Um, Beyond that, um, you mean meaning another specific song, another song that could make me feel like that. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, yeah, it's that, that's what it is for me about music. It's not just like you could have a bucket full of songs, Mm -hmm. but if you have two or three songs in there that do something to me that make me either agree or disagree or, you know, like change. Yeah. Yeah. That is meaningful to me. Um, a lot of people I, I talk to like, don't like sad songs, but I mean, I'm not saying a lot of people hate sad songs, but I, I have talked to a lot of people that like sad songs. Oh, they're just, they just make you, make what's you the point it. of that? It's like, you know, I, I heard an interview with uh, Margot Timmons of Cowboy Junkies uh-huh. once, and I think she defined it for me as like, it's important to, to feel and recall the feeling of all emotions mm-hmm. at some point. They just don't lose touch with that. It keeps you, it keeps you centered in your universe, sure. you know? So to, to, to visit happy songs or sad songs or angry songs. I think that there's an you know importance what? That to that. That would be a challenge. <laughs> Got to try and make an uh, write and record an album that helps people stuff their feelings. <laughs> Has anybody made that one? Because that would really be harder. Uh, yeah, because otherwise that's what we would do. We would just eat our feelings or stuff them and we yeah. would just repress ourselves. And music, that's why music, especially new music, new idioms, tend to, they can tend to scare uh a portion of society because it, it brings things up as, Oh, mm. we got so far without having to discuss that. Why must you write a song about that? I mean, Pete Townsend said something to the effect of, you know, a record can't solve any of your problems, but it could help you dance on top of them. Yeah. You know, I, uh, Shelly and I saw, uh, Henry Rollins in December. We see him like as frequently as he comes around and does a spoken word thing. Mm-hmm. And we saw him at the observatory over in Santa Ana. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, there was a reference to a lot of the losses. of This is in December, like I said. So mm-hmm. he was referencing a lot of the, the people we lost in 2016, which we'll maybe talk about later. But he, he said, you know, um, a lot of people are like, why, why, why do people get so crazy about like, oh, David Bowie died? You know, why is that so important? You know, you didn't know him. Uh-huh. Okay. But, but he said, you know what? Music can be such a comfortable personalized go-to to to pull you out of something to 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 brace you for something you spend so much time with these records that by the time that person does pass away you've invested so much in them (laughs) spent so many hours with this in their their voice their creation their vision Mm -hmm. that you feel that loss as well just as if it's but somebody you grew up with okay and then they keep coming there's studies that come out and it seems to verify that our favorite music is essentially the music we listen to between the age of 16, 25, yeah. somewhere around there. That's, and that makes perfectly. Yeah. And sense. I see a lot of people lock into that music after yes. a certain point in their lives. Too. Absolutely. Oh yeah. I, well, I think most people do. In fact, there's, yeah. there's very, very powerful national radio stations that are predicated. Their business plan is predicated on that mm-hmm. thing right there. There now, now at my age, you know, in, you become a parent and you, you get, hopefully you get gainful employment, married and you have others. And so, you know, there's just no time to, and, and frankly, there's just not a lot of uh, 
12 inch vinyl L. I mean, there's not room for it in your life. Sometimes. Tell I mean, I me about it. <laughs> and you there's a little bit more room in my garage. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I think I'm going to need to get rid of that washer and dryer, though. Well, I tell you. Make room for some crates. One of the, the my favorite advances in terms of, because when I'm on the road is when I'll, I might do some album shopping. Yeah. And uh, the solution to all my my love and problems with music is, is, is usually new vinyl that has the download code with the purchase. Okay. That solved. That was, I thought, yes. Yes. Somebody got my memo. Because I, I do like vinyl. I do like that experience. It, I yeah. rarely have the time to absorb it the way I use it. But frankly, I'm going to hear it. If I'm going to listen to this thing, it's going to be in my car or on my phone. Convenience or... certainly plays more of a role now than it ever has. Mm-hmm. Uh, in... Well, frankly, the cassette, the, the little cassette tape was a, a, a matter of convenience for so many people. Because now this thing was not going to skip. You could listen to it in your car. The... Until it got chewed up. Until it got, well, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I just never had Where's a good my car stereo. Where's I my pencil? I lost so many tapes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's a big, uh, I think they found that, that uh, sweet spot where people are able to now get that, whether it's a nostalgic thing or it's an audiophile thing, or it's a first time thing for today's mm-hmm. generation, which I know that's happening in my house right now, mm-hmm. to get an album, play it on a record player, and then to also load those tracks up into your mobile device, mm-hmm. put it to the cloud, whatever, and yeah. go and have it whenever you want it. Oh, yeah. It's the best of both it's worlds. It's magnificent. Look, I, half my year, I'm, I'm in hotel rooms, and uh, that does not separate me from the tunes I just yeah. bought. Yeah. Or, or, or making, my, making a playlist that kind of suits sometimes geographically where I am on the road. I might, I might throw something together, and I can do it from a, a mobile location. Yeah. I mean, this is... Not, I love it, and you'll do that. But when you you come off the road and you come home, I see you throwing an album on Mm -hmm. at home. Uh, Yeah, in the garage actually is where where stuff is set up. Uh Oh, a bit of a bit of a man cave (laughs) thing, you know. I I, but also but I also have a lovely uh, portable turntable uh, that I'm pretty fond of, and uh, and it has a beautiful warm tone, especially oh one of the, the suitcase models. Yeah. yeah, those are cool. I love it, and that's kind of if I get a new record. More often than not, that's where I'll spin it. Okay, and, and after you know, kids at school, wife's at work, and I'm cleaning the kitchen. I was like, ah, here's the new, here's the new Sturgill Simpson. Nice, and just this is this is this feels good, you know. Um, but I don't. But I was never a huge audiophile. Like I never really got into the nuts and bolts of of well, what you know. We got to listen to it on this system and that. I think I yeah. was just a little too in love with the larger notion of music, rock and roll, yeah. the the romance of, of the stage and speakers. I mean, it was it was all it was all part of it. Mm-hmm. So getting into, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to listen to it through a, a blown speaker either. But but I just just give me the tunes. Yeah, just give me the tunes. Now like the content is the most important but yeah i mean yeah growing up i didn't have high-end equipment but it's what i had it's what it came through mm-hmm. you know i had eight tracks and everything i even had the i had hotel california on eight track mm-hmm. and uh i never had it on any other format at that time uh-huh. and so i god i was it was it wasted time would like get interrupted it would get it a oh, chunk, all songs you know <laughs> to interrupt by the way like right that's like I don't yeah. with the narrative. That's the most movie. I mean, that is a tearjerker. Yeah, if you want to talk about engage? I mean, come on. And then just that ab- abrasive sound that machine makes when it's like, 
all those pieces in motion. And- <laughs> oh, you know, um, I don't know. I, someone made the joke that uh, the song Hotel California, it's a negative Yelp review with a two minute guitar solo. Right. Yeah. I saw it. That. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. That so, is good. So now, so we go back to, uh, now I remember uh, driving somewhere in LA a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago. And these two guys, I won't name them. It's not necessary, but two guys, kind of baby boomer age. They're, they're morning radio hosts. And they were, frankly, they're speaking their truth and, and probably their truth to their demographic. But they were essentially complaining that, you know, kids, these they don't know what it, they don't know how to buy music anymore. They, they don't do it right or so, something along those mm-hmm. lines. So you remember you get on your 10 speed and you would go down to the store and you got, and then you brought it home and you looked at the artwork and they're doing yeah. this thing. And, and I agree. I mean, that is because of when and where I was born, I you know, I, I, I remember that experience solidly with my dad. Okay. That was a, yes, I do remember doing that. But I guess I'm also young enough to appreciate, again, the mobility of Spotify and iTunes yeah, and yeah. all these things. Uh, I love it all. But like I said, so they're doing their bit about it. But I'm listening to it. Well, yeah, but there was no law saying that's how you consume music. In exactly. fact, that is a reality <clears throat> on the human timeline. <laughs> that's going to be a speck of time that that's how you consume exactly. music. Yeah. Now, this is in this, and the reason I say that is that it's not for us to judge how anybody listens and takes in music. We should just be happy that people want to hear music. Exactly. Now we, uh, that's why I'm more interested in asking people if you know, it's like, how do you hear music? And I know because I know from my own experience, it's not stationary enough. With a with a turntable to take in music the way I did when I was twelve, right? It's yeah, not it doesn't make sense for someone like yourself that does regular traveling. But the important thing is that you're taking in music. Yeah, I had this this experience a few years ago. Um, I was at this Indian market, uh, India's uh, uh, sweets and spices. It's it's in Los Feliz, and. Uh, and just walking up and down the aisles and you're just smelling these, just these foreign, I mean, I love Indian right. food, yeah. but, but I didn't grow up eating it. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm maybe past 15, 20 years as well. Yeah. Indian food. And then just Indian music's playing overhead, right? And I'm walking up and down the aisles and I just became overwhelmed, just emotionally overwhelmed. It didn't make me sad or anything. It was just, I was just kind of paying attention to the music and I realized my my ignorance of the music was making it so wonderful. And I mean the word wonderful and exactly. Oh, yeah. it, I was, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know the rules of this music. Yeah. I, I can't <laughs> follow it at all. And instead it wasn't a frustrating experience. It was a wildly engaging experience where I thought it's like I'm hearing music for the first time. That's awesome. And it's lovely to be a, a, an adult and one who, you know, pays his bills via music and to still just get nailed like yeah. that. In a grocery store. Right. <laughs> Lucky. <laughs> just, you know, it's just like, oh, wow. I mean, that just zonks you out, you know? And and I live for that. You thought God was an architect. Now you know it's something like a pipe bomb ready to blow. And everything you built that's all for show goes up in flame. In 24. And that's one of those things where I look after, I think I told you sometime last year, like that Jason Isbell record back to, 
what we learn from music, why, why I'm a jukebox graduate. I finished listening to a Jason Isbell album and I feel like a better person. It just, it's silly. Yeah. It's silly. But, but I'm grateful that we still have artists that are that thoughtful. They're yeah. tuneful and they're that thoughtful. And uh, it helps me value what I have. It helps me think of things bigger than myself. Uh, it helps me gut check myself and my own behavior in these small ways. And it adds up. And at the end of you know, 12 or 13 tracks, you think, Ooh, that whole thing was a positive experience for Absolutely. me. Absolutely. And, and we got to be grateful that, that people still make that music too. On that subject, um, part of what was so attractive about Bruce Springsteen's catalog to me when I discovered it in high school, yeah. nobody else was listening to Springsteen. I didn't really have any Springsteen friends, but uh-huh. I knew those seven singles off Born in the USA were on, all over the radio. Who's of course, go they back? were out there, but I didn't have any friends that were... I mean, I'd, I had, here, here are my friends. My friends range in high school. <laughs> it was You were either listening to um, Bob Seger. Oh, cool. Or you were listening to... Orange County punk. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. And, and I was in well, that's that. That's a rich. I was in that. Punk. Yeah, I was in that group where I was wearing jeans, a flannel shirt, unbuttoned with a Springsteen shirt underneath it. Was so I was the flannel and the jeans like kind of worked Kent. with the the punk thing. <laughs> but yeah, I was like Clark Kent. I was just looking for the right phone. But now you can't find a phone. But <laughs> yeah, good luck. But um, but for me, Springsteen's music. Um, once I really dug in, um. I found so many examples of how to live life through both the lyrics in his songs on his albums and the stories he would tell on the bootleg tapes Mm -hmm. that I had started to collect. Um, You start to find out where good values lie, Mm -hmm. how you treat a woman, um, what to work for in life. Mm. You know, all these things, they're just little pockets in these songs and and good and bad examples. Yeah, by the way, I learned early on, uh, your girlfriend or wife doesn't like it when you refer to her as little girl. Don't do that. Only Bruce can can get away with that in the river. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so for me, I actually, I did get a lot of, uh, a lot of life lessons from his music and um, that can come from anywhere. And I'm not going to judge you for what kind of music you like or listen to if it's not my cup of tea. The high fidelity moment. What I want to say, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I'm not going to make fun of you because you're wearing a Cosby sweater. But <laughs> although that is, I love that movie. Although I will if you're wearing it as a tribute as of 2017. Right, right. <laughs> um, wow. So, so it's, a, it's a Cosby distraction. But um, uh, high fidelity. A high fidelity moment, judging people. Sorry, we got off track. And, and thank God we can edit this stuff out. Yes. Now, so statistically, again, back to we we're born around the same time. We grew up consuming music the same, much the same way. Yes. Um, we had very similar concert growing experiences growing up. So this leads us to the other, just the mathematical truth of the losses of 2016 in rock and roll, I think. It's, it seemed as though we were all just sort of getting just punched on a monthly basis. It's at, in, in April is almost a weekly basis, if I yeah, remember. Yeah. And of course, it, it was, I think it was just sexier to say, what a terrible year, and make it seem as though it was this mysterious thing that was happening. Uh, and probably because it was a very divisive election year. So the news cycle is, is sort of like 
like your rock and roll was letting you down too. Right, right. (laughs) But um, of course, you know, I just, I tried to take the calm overall look at it saying, well, Western civilization hasn't had as many famous people as it had post post World War II, starting with the the, the Hollywood uh, studio system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then we get by the fifties, so many more television sets are now in at right. least middle class homes, and then certainly after Elvis, and certainly after the Beatles, the amount of people that are famous for making music, then that really on the really festivals, expands. the Woodstock and. It, 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 it exploded. Get, it exploded. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And really, around the time that the record sales started, to find, that's like the big panic, as I understand it, when John Bonham passed away, was that the industry really relied heavily on the years when Led Zeppelin would put out an album and go on a tour. Hmm. I mean, that everybody got to print up some money. And so <laughs> when Bonzo doesn't wake up uh, in, what, September of 80, mm-hmm. um, I think there's a bit of a uh-oh. And that's kind of why we got the Coda album, I think. Right. It was well, just sort yeah. of contractually, but also like right, yeah. the record store was like, yeah, just we need the name Led Zeppelin in that bin, you know. Um, so when it seems like things are going to maybe act, you know, slow down, MTV comes around. And it just gives birth this whole new set of stars and icons yeah, and, a, and, and a new way to take in music. And um, for those that didn't pass away at a young age due to a travel accident or an overdose or things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to see David Bowie make records for decades. We got to see Prince go and do just mind boggling live shows for decades. And, and people are going to start naturally, they're going to start to pass away of natural causes. Um, and because of the, chunk of years where these people became famous and we watched them be famous and enjoy their fame, they will all kind of slowly start. I mean, the, the next five, 10 years, they were so much further ahead of us, uh, age wise anyway. I mean, we were sure. younger idolizing them while they were mature and doing right. their thing. And yeah, so it's only, I mean, we're, nobody's going to be around forever. So at some point it's going to happen, but nobody tends to like start doing the math on that massive list of people. Like how close are they potentially how much longer do we maybe have them? Mm-hmm. And you just think, oh, that music's so eternal. They've been there since the 70s. That's not going away. That's going to be in my life. For, you just think that your experience is that's going to stay in your life forever. But mm-hmm. at some point, you notice some people not going out on the road again. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Seger was kind of an example yeah. where he took a lot of time just, off. and Went out on that um, boat. But Springsteen is doing it, and I don't know how. I don't know how that band keeps up with him. I mean, it's not like he's just doing a one hour, hour and a half show. Mm-hmm. He's running those guys through a marathon, and they're not much further behind him, if not about the same age. You well, know? I think yeah, Nils can't go through a metal detector at this right, point, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah, we're, we're two men down as it is in terms of the E Street right. band, um, and. Uh, I, someone joked that when, you know, when, when Clarence passed away, and I, what, what, how old was he when he passed? Oh, I don't, he, well, he was older, Old, certainly. Late than, 60s? Yeah, I don't, something, I don't Yeah, he was older than Bruce and all those guys. Mm-hmm. But someone made the the remark, it had to be a funny one, like, wow, when you do the, the math, though, that first of all, saxophone players, a lot of them die, mostly jazz guys, so they die very young. So he beat that statistic. <laughs> you know, then, then you put African-American 
rock and roll musician. Like he actually beat a lot of right, odds. Right. Like it's on the actuary table. Having like, been in all those clubs. I don't know what his <laughs> I don't know what his yeah insurance policies look like, but that was just <laughs> so yeah. Um so but yeah, so it was was interesting. So yeah, so David Bowie, then Glenn Fry, like, oh wow. And that just seemed like and that was certainly those are intensely seventies figures. Yeah. You know, guys from the nineteen seventies, obviously. Now I just read the book, uh Chuck Klosterman had a book called But What If We're Wrong? And and uh, it came out, I think, in early 2016. In fact, um, and it, the idea is this: if you dig, if you will, I will uh, go back mid 1800s. Okay, think of all the things that the society, the modern society in 1850, universally held to be true. Right? Just, just the world is the world. And it is how it is. And they can't guess what advancements are coming. In fact, there's probably a conversation at that time happening about or maybe not about 1850. Let's, let's flash forward a, a, a maybe 30 years after that. Okay. There might be a conversation, you know, I think come a time here with some of these kids, they don't even know how to ride a horse anymore. Because <laughs> right now the conversation I have with other parents is, are our kids even going to be driving a car? Yeah. Yeah. I, five years ago, it was are they gonna learn? Are they gonna know how to drive a stick shift? Right. That the stick shift got totally taken out of this. Right. It was like stick shift. Forget the stick shift. What about <laughs> a car? So the the book, what if we're wrong, kind of sets those scenarios up. We're, we're certainly we're absolutely sure about so many things right now in 2017. What, what are we wrong about right now? Now, I think about Elvis Presley a lot, mm-hmm. um, and in my brain, he's he's just this historic figure it's he's immobile it's just he's right there and i've just always assumed that hundreds of years from hundreds of years from now people if if one figure of rock and roll's singular figure of rock and roll is going to survive and the out of that's the dust the that's the one hmm. but then all of a sudden bowie dies and i'm not saying it'll be bowie but what i'm saying is bowie dies january 2016 and of all the political issues that were dredged up in the election year, in local elections mostly, this new the new vocal prominence of your transgender, your LGBT world, that that community mm-hmm. that it has not just a name but a voice. It has its own movement, and our society is coming to grips with the reality of that, and we're making way, and it and it's it's all fine, or at least we. Or, or maybe for those, if it's not fine, at least we're having this conversation right, about yeah. it. It's at the forefront. Then Bowie seems remarkably relevant. Right. Remarkably prescient, even. That the gender-bending thing, and not only, but the shape-shifting thing. In a world, it's really interesting because Bowie clearly was not interested in Instagram or Twitter. Right. Because at first I thought, well, why wouldn't he be? He's the one who changed his look every time you, he came out and you saw him. It was always, what's he going to look like this time? What's it going to sound like this time? I think in an interview, he had said, you know, someone had said, well, you know, you're, the, you're the rock and roll chameleon. So you like, use that word chameleon about mm-hmm. Bowie. And he protested properly. He said, well, no, no, no. Because chameleons blend in with their background. Oh. I don't think I ever quite did that. Good for him. Yeah. The whole idea was to be different. <laughs> and, and in the Instagram, Twitter world, it's like, no, it, that just leveled everything. That does not suit David Bowie. Mm-hmm. So he disappears mm-hmm. and mysteriously releases music rather mysteriously just, and then just vanishes. Perfect. 
whether Elvis is the one that survives in that dust or the yeah. Beatles or whomever and, and more to the point why and I, were, I wonder about that as again, we're just maybe a year and a month past Bowie's passing mm-hmm. so it'll be interesting to see how we in fact uh, how, how we talk about Bowie what, what, what terms we'll use and what will seem more significant later right. on for Elvis yeah I mean I always looked at there, there's certain icons for me that I, I always felt would be timeless mm-hmm. and there's a couple that really like rise to the top only because I think they, they kind of appear caricature-esque. Um, and one would be Elvis, mm-hmm. the wavy hair, you know, the swivel in the hips and sure. uh, that sort of swagger. And then Sinatra, mm-hmm. you know, with that hat and the, the uh, I, they, they just both have Always some, in a suit. Yeah. Sometimes and, not a tie, but usually a tie. So even if these artists are not remembered 200 years from now or mm-hmm. whatever it may be for the version of Stuck on You. For the from tunes. Whatever it may be, uh, they, th- who knows? Maybe they'll be more represented in a costume shop. Fashion, yeah. For what they visually represented mm-hmm. or were parodied uh, down the road. Um, I'd hate to see that happen, but I'm here in we my lifetime. And in my lifetime, they're going to mean what they're going to mean to me. Sure. Which is based on my experience. I mean, I've been alive during the time that Elvis and Sinatra were, we're alive. alive. Yeah. I remember seeing stuff on TV and hearing stuff on the radio all while they were around making it and they were totally relevant. And now that they're gone, my appreciation is hundred mm-hmm. percent for them. Um, but the experience of future generations is going to be completely different from mine. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be happening concurrently. So what is it going to be for them? Is it going to be a totally different artist? Are these artists going to have any meaning? Like what will the definition be of Elvis? Is it going to be um, a negative image of him? Well, I'll tell you, well, two things. First, the Elvis thing. I was just talking to my wife last night about this because something, well, actually, I more, more, more or less, I usually refer to, to Curly from the Three Stooges. <laughs> but, I mean, but who doesn't, right? The Three Stooges. Mo, Larry. Classic trio. Yeah. Curly, the fat one. Growing up, Curly's the fat one. Dial ups and three stooges. He's not the fat one anymore. <laughs> he's just not, he's just, he's a big guy. Mm-hmm. But our body, it just, you know, he's, he would just, if he were to walk in this room right now, he wouldn't be considered fat anymore. In our lifetime, there's young Elvis and there's Fat Elvis. Right. People, most people grew very comfortable using the term fat Elvis. And it indicates a certain era. It, it indicates a certain, a certain costume. Mm-hmm. It even yeah, indicates certain, certain records even. Well, it's hard to be a gambler betting on the number that changes every time. Looking back, yeah, he's like a heavy set guy in his early forties. He's yeah. he's not, he doesn't have the body that he had when he was nineteen. Who, who does? Who, who does? Right. And I, I I like to think that one of the things we'll forget about Elvis, or one of the things that will 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 slowly vanish, is the term "fat Elvis." I like to think that it'll go. Now, unfortunately, it may be it may be replaced by something else that might 
um, in, indicate a shortcoming. It might be drug Elvis or, right, or you know, glutton yeah. Elvis. I don't know. I don't know. But again, we you know when we we stop and we look back. I guess Prince, and we go to you know, losing Prince. Um, I was in my car, and it was you know it's that chilling moment, and you know this happens terrestrial radio it happens now satellite radio too where you're just driving along and you hear three songs in a row by one artist and you know something and you're like yeah is it triple play thursday you start making <sighs> excuses for why are they doing that did you start changing channels uh i did because because here I, I, I have an interesting uh recording of there's two recordings actually the night that that john lennon was shot oh. Somebody in New York and somebody in Los Angeles rolled tape on FM radio, started on the low end, went to the first station. Imagine. Oh, for wow. the, went to the next station. Can't buy me. Love, whatever. You know, it was like it was all up and down the dial. Yeah. It was either Beatles, Lennon or the news. The, oh, huh. uh, you know, sure. or conversation from just DJs just not playing music and just. Taking calls, just venting, you know, venting, yeah. and uh, and to hear that, I think these recordings are about fifteen to twenty minutes long. But it's just to, to hear live radio that mm-hmm. evening and how stations were paying tribute and reacting to losing such an icon. Um, I don't know if you hear that now. If that's something that happens, I know that some stations, uh, like I know uh, after Glenn Fry passed away, I know uh, I had KLOS on mm-hmm. out here in L.A. and they were playing a whole block of songs in tribute, obviously yeah. the home team, you know, yeah. uh, being a California band. Yeah. I remember being in the car when Michael Jackson died and I was in my truck, which doesn't have satellites. So it was a terrestrial radio moment. Mm-hmm. I was going to drop off some furniture at the thrift store and uh, it, yeah, it's, it's just every station that, I mean, I just, just to answer that example where, and that was interesting and I was working at K-Earth at the time. And I appreciated that our program director, uh, Johnny K, clearly decided we're going to, we're just going to pay attention to the music. And and that station really did a, it, it did a good job of just staying out of the fray of any of the controversial parts of Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. which seemed to be, because if you remember that day, you know, TMZ really led with the, it turned out with the most accurate. Yeah. They actually did have, the, the, the right information yep first I remember that they didn't just get it first but they actually had it accurate uh, they had they had it correct um, so because TMZ was the leader on that story unfortunately it was a pretty tawdry afternoon yeah and then over that first week there was discussions over drugs and then and trials of this and it was it is unfortunate and i really was happy to be at a, at a station that just you just you just hear the title track of off the wall i think that's kind of just that's just what i need that's i'm you know not to excuse other things but let's let's provide at least one spot was a vacuum Mm-hmm. That just focused on the music and how this artist made people feel. Back to your original mm-hmm. thing about music obsession. Um, but, uh, you know, universally accepted artists. You know, we got Dylan left. I mean, we, we have, of course, we have two more Beatles. Um, 
we will have these ruptures. We will have these big moments yeah. of, of a reflection because of the idea that well, but we all knew that person. Do work. we need to? Do we need to start preparing for things like that? Like Is what? That, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> do. um, it just sucks to know right now. I mean, to start really start focusing on that. I mean, I guess we all knew that nothing lasts forever, but until it does happen, and when it happens in great numbers, you start to freak out. I mean, that's a lot of people were really freaking out about 2016, and it's like it makes complete sense what you said, like. Yeah, all these of figures. Of course it does, Dave, everything I yeah, Right. Uh, and it's good that we can cut all this out. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, you're right in that all these people that came into prominence were it did so through uh, vast arrays of media that got to a lot of people, mm-hmm. got to them for so many years that we were able to just ingest everything that they were creating and making and watching their whole career time span. And, uh, but you don't know when the end's coming. You don't see when it's, you know, you don't know that like, okay, he's got three albums left. You just, oh, there's another Bowie record on the, on the radar. Cool. Looking forward to that in January. Yeah. And, and after not hearing from him for a little while, although the, uh, uh, the previous album I thought was fantastic. Yeah. Um, from a couple of years before. I'm really excited about that record. If you yeah. look back, that was, I do remember the anticipation of that record was, it was real. It was true. So know? getting that news like with the week within the week of release of that album uh, that we lost Bowie was like, wow. Um, you know, we, you just, you can't plan for it. I guess, um, you just, we just have to start maybe appreciating more of what we do have now when we go out to see a band. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I see in some of the Springsteen threads online, people talking about whatever, whichever tour is currently happening. You know, I see people commenting on there saying, uh, this feels like the last one, you know? And I, it's like, I, I don't expect to see, you know, a lot of my favorite artists on the road indefinitely. I'd like to think that for the rest of my days, I can always count on every two or three years going out to see this artist live or this artist live or a new album. It doesn't yeah. even have to be a touring artist. Yeah. Um, their productivity, their existence will sometime come to a halt. And, and we have what we have then. Yeah, uh, of course. That's where reissues and all that stuff, and box sets, certainly. and you know, going through the archives will come into play. And certainly, that's going to be the case with with Prince, I believe. I think there's like a Purple Rain expanded edition coming out with oh. all kinds of extra stuff. It's like finally those vaults are. I don't know if Prince wanted to really release a lot of that stuff in his lifetime, but he certainly created a lot on a regular basis, and there's a lot in there. And you know, I I say why not put that stuff out now because this going back to your, your remark about what was popular or in or relevant 150 years ago right now, there are so many fans of certain kinds of music or artists, Prince Bowie, all mm. these great artists that we just lost, right? We would all love to hear unheard music from them, maybe unreleased live recordings, whatever, you know, we're, we're kind of, we want, we want more. We want to re- recapture that feeling that that artist gave us, but in a new way. We could, of course, play the old records over and over, mm-hmm. but those artists provided us a lot of first listens on things that impacted us. So yes. to have like an archive open up in our lifetime would be fantastic. Whereas what is all this artist's music going to mean? Retrospectively. 150 years from I, now. Okay, so I like when the curtain is drawn when the stuff first comes out, I think that's good. I said, and of course that's my bias because the curtain was drawn on all this stuff as, as I grew up listening to music. Um, the basement tapes, you know, I read the mm-hmm. Robbie Robertson memoir mm-hmm. and, um, 
you think about it, the basement tapes essentially when they're commercially released in the in the mid seventies, that's actually the better call. Uh, I don't know if I would have wanted to have heard it on the was it the Great White Wonder bootleg or something right, like that right. around the time when they yeah. actually recorded those things in Woodstock. There, some of them are publishing demos, you know, for Dylan to get some mm-hmm. some people to cover Dylan songs while he wasn't on the road. Um, and they're poorly recorded; they weren't meant to be. But by the you know listened to by by the public, but by you know ten years later when when the jury came back and said, you know what, what Dylan and the Hawks were doing in '66 clearly was the right move, because we just have arenas filled with bands playing exactly that music mm. in that way at that volume, and it's clearly the winning product. So Dylan and the band completely vindicated, right? And then they said, okay, so now let's go back and listen to when they stepped off that loud stage and they broke things back down again. You see these guys drawing from these really archaic resources i think what grail marcus called that weird old america and all that stuff yeah. you know all these think pieces that are written about them but but uh it, it's kind of i think it's it's good to let some time go by mm. um yeah i think it's good to let some time go by and, and then later on show us what, what you put in that recipe yeah yeah you know. yeah there should be some some time but man i'm just uh i think it may come from just my teenage years and getting hooked on Springsteen and going to that, the record shop I ended up working at eventually in order to help, um, work for free records. Um, but I'd go there and buy these bootlegs and I was just fascinated with all the studio outtake collections. Mm -hmm. Like how can this guy have this many records out and then have all these bootlegs with all these unreleased songs that would add up to a good five or six records. Mm Mm-hmm. Why didn't he release them? These are fantastic. And I'm throwing down better money than I was paying for the legit albums (laughs) on these things. And they didn't sound as good, but it's like, these are fascinating. And now they've all shown up on the expanded Darkness on the Edge of Town edition, anniversary editions, the River Ties of Bind collection. I remember once, I'm sorry, I remember once asking you about something about a Beatles tune. There's a moment on a particular Beatles tune. And I I stopped it. Oh, oh, wait, is that on the official... Is that on the actual record or is that on one of the outtakes? And you looked at me and you just nodded, you just shook your head like, I can't, I don't know the difference anymore because you just heard them all. Yeah, exactly. So I, it, <laughs> there are, there's a version of Penny Lane with that extra horn bit. And I think, oh, I don't even know if that's the version I, with which I grew up or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I'm the dizzy. thing. It's like, yeah. So I, I expect to hear the, the giggling in, in uh, Andrew Bird can sing sometimes right you know that take yeah yeah where yeah, John and Paul yeah. Are high as yeah where they crack that's on anthology I believe. well yeah i mean there's a, like a high there's like a properly mastered version yeah. of it and so it, to me all of a sudden it's just as legitimate as as the the one i grew up listening to and uh which is all fine but uh so obviously we could sit here for another hour talking about right. every individual loss in 2016 there's leonard cohen there's merle haggard that had a huge influence on the rest of my calendar yeah. here certainly um but you know chuck prophet he got it right uh he reacted appropriately with a song on his new record and in fact what i really love is that he wrote a song 
called It's Bad Year for Rock and Roll. And he actually writes an up-tempo rock and roll yes. song about it. <laughs> and so he, he gives us the reason why, it ma- why rock and roll matters in a visceral presentation. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, well, obviously with clever, thoughtful lyrics, but we wouldn't accept that. There's, there's uh, name-checking and imagery in there. So Well, yeah, and there's also the, the reminiscence. Like, what's he doing? He's in a mohair suit watching a Peter Sellers movie. Well, the last time Peter Sellers was in a movie was like 1979. Right. So it's, it's a caution of spending too much time in the rearview mirror, yeah, which is appropriate and thoughtful, and and again, we we should expect that from Chuck Prophet.
I'm all dressed up in my mohair suit Watching Peter Sellers, thinking of you I'm wondering where it's all gonna end Chuck Prophet, Bad Year for Rock and Roll. That's from his new Yep Rock album, Bobby Fuller Died for Your Sins. Find out more about Chuck Prophet uh, and, and his new album, Where He's Going. He's on tour right now. Go to chuckprophet.com. Um, pick up the new album. It's fantastic. I picked it up on vinyl. Um, and it comes, the vinyl version's awesome. It comes with a, like a two-inch badge sort of embedded in the top right corner Sweet. of the, the cover. It's just kind of like, I've never seen that before. <laughs> a new way to get swag. Isn't that going to ruin the record? No, it's a, it's a nice gatefold. It's really, it's really cool. It's just some of the new great music yeah. of 2017. And I know that uh, Ryan Adams, at least I think it was last night, did the in-store at Amoeba. He was an Amoeba, yeah. Yeah, and is he doing it with fingerprints? He did fingerprints a, a few nights ago. I was at yeah. that. And the, the single off the new record, mm-hmm. um, Do You Still Love Me? It's right. fantastic. The rest of the record is is great, but none of it jumped out at me like that they, single you know did. What? You pick sometimes they write they pick the right song for the single. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, okay, well, I was kind of hoping more songs would attack me and I could knock that emphasis track out of the way and find one that really sure. is for me. But that that wasn't the case until I um, went and saw him at Fingerprints. He did a solo acoustic mm-hmm. showcase. He did about eight or nine songs. He did much of the new record. Yeah, and. Um, Hearing these songs in a stripped down setting, this has happened to me with like Matthew Sweet and some other artists wow. where the record isn't as great as hearing those Bad. songs from the record live or in a new setting. And, and in this case, it was in a different mix. You know, it wasn't with a full band. It was just him by himself. So the melodies, the lyrics, everything else was hitting me in a different well, direction. I've noticed this now with, with his with this album and the previous album, the, the eponymous album, right? It's funny because remember a couple of years ago there was like a, there was a, Petty, a Tom Petty record coming out and everyone was excited. It's back to that damn the torpedo sound. It was like a return to form was mm-hmm. the hype, and it came out. And it was fine, but at that same time, Ryan Adams put out an album that was that nailed the damn the torpedoes thing, mm-hmm. and no one noticed because they were all looking at Tom Petty to do the and and so I think you know and Ryan's a real obviously ever since the Whiskey Town days been a very very he's a great student of music. He clearly analyzes very well. And he could reproduce very well. So he can at will choose a genre or a a production style. He could just say, I'm just, I'm going to make a Smith sounding record right now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make a. Well, isn't that what that uh, Lacerra record turned out to be about a year ago? So with this, I think there's the the synth sounds he's using, the way the guitars are compressed and being used. There's clearly an early 80s. And I can't put my finger on it. It's not Billy Squire. It's not. I'm. Still trying to figure out who it is, but I think it's just an, it's, it's probably just a feel for early 80s rock where it's still guitar oriented singer songwriter material, but there's certainly a synth background hovering. Yeah. So you might just be thrown off by the production style. By the way, he yeah, taught well, that, me something. I'm sorry, but Ryan Adams taught me something very valuable when he, with the, uh, that, that uh, Taylor Swift record. Oh, fuck. Right. Love that record, <laughs> but it just showed me. It's like, oh, it taught. Oh, I actually, I I quite like Taylor Swift as a songwriter. Yes, it was the production values, yeah, that I I just don't particularly enjoy. Of course, the Taylor Swift records not made for me, not made for me. I completely agree. But and then and then Ryan said, well, how about I'm going to take the melodies and those lyrics, I'm going to put them in a dad rock, you know, form. That's a good name. And 
And I'm like, oh yeah, I get that now. Is that a section in a store? I don't know that it's going to be. Need to be. Well, I mean, I can. You can see it when you walk right. in <laughs> next of the to the ties standing there. <laughs> That's where the dads are. <laughs> so that that single, you, you mentioned those like '80s production values. Um, that single, as soon as I, you know, it starts out kind of quiet. There's sort of like yep. a little moody keyboard thing, yeah. but then it kicks in with that that eye of the tiger sort of riff, you know, and that's yeah. so you just kind of nailed that to for me as yeah. far as that eighties production thing. It's like, yeah, that's kind of what I feel with that when it kicks. It's I love it. Yeah. Well, the, the singles that I've really liked from that band uh, called Joseph, which is a, a three piece. It's a, it's a female trio vocal trio, but there's, but the band's called Joseph. They named themselves after their grandfather. Um, there is something about their choruses are big and they're just, there's the song um, Raise a White Flag. You can tell by the title. It's very anthemic. And it feels like, like a big 80s single. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, 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 you know, in a big country or something. It's just, it, it, it's staking its claim and I love it. And um, they have another single called SOS that I really love. It, it just grooves beautifully. And, and it feels like, kind of like a Madonna single in a way. So, yeah. the, so those 80s values are just that they are values and of course and these are very young artists you know to them drawing from the 80s is as valid as drawing from 60s girl pop or whatever why not yeah you know yeah and uh so those are some tracks and also another female artist lp she has a song called lost on you that i hear mostly on satellite radio they've been playing Mm -hmm. a lot and uh it occurred to me finally what was great lyrics and it's a bit of a spaghetti western Production value. It, it, my wife was the one who kind of pointed it out. Says, well, doesn't it kind of? Feel like, oh, yes, it does. It it it's cinematic. It just it builds things up just right, then brings them down, builds them right. So if you yeah. if you look for yeah, Lost in You by LP, a fantastic okay. new uh, single out right now. And by the way, we're going to be if you go to uh, thejukeboxgraduate.com, uh, we will have show notes and links. And one of the links we're going to have on the page on a regular basis is a link to a Spotify playlist. Yep to accompany each episode that we do. So any artist song that we mention, we're going to try to drop those in there so it can be a companion piece. Uh, after you listen to our episode, you can then drive to and from work throughout the week and you know, taking in all this great music that you've never heard of. And um, So we'll, we'll put some of those songs in there for sure. For me, there's, there's a handful of albums that have made my Dave's Faves list for 2017 that are... Only like two months into the year. I know. I started compiling this stuff like as soon as tracks were leaking in November. (laughs) I I already had a complete collection by the start of the year. And it's just a matter of like battle of the bands throughout the year. But there there are a few albums that are start to finish phenomenal to me. Um, I'll go through those real quick. Bash and Pop, mm-hmm. which is uh, one of the uh, yeah the Tommy Stimson uh, side project, uh, of course from the Replacements. Um, the last album they put out was 1993, so this is kind of revisiting yeah. it. Although I think the band has changed significantly. Oh yeah, but the music itself to me it it reminds me a lot of so much of what I loved from the uh, the Paul Westerberg Stereo Mono oh, period. Such a great period. So good. I love this album. They're going to be playing the Troubadour pretty soon. I'm, hopefully I can make that. But um, I would highly recommend this record start to finish. It's just Great. fantastic. Another one I discovered um, just by finding a uh, uh, a random track that was possibly shared on NPR. You know, sometimes it's like, here, mm-hmm. here the advanced song from this. I found this this uh, artist, Porcelain Raft, otherwise known as, uh, there's a, an individual named Mauro Ramidi. The new album's called Microclimate. Uh-huh. And it's just very... 
ethereal indie rock. Um, it also helps that the vinyl came on like a white and pink splatter design. It's just Dave. gorgeous. I know. It's like lifesavers. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll buy that all day long. <laughs> yeah, that <lifesaver>. Right? <laughs> just gorgeous stuff. Um, and then uh, one of the more recent ones I discovered is an album by uh, Allison Crutchfield, uh, formerly of a group called P.S. Elliott. The album's called Tourist in This Town on Merge. Um, her voice reminds me of, if you're familiar with these names, Andrea Lewis from the Darling Buds, which was a 90s group. Harriet Wheeler of the Sundays, another mm -hmm. 90s group. Um, Elena Riley from uh, Tennis, who has, by the way, has a new album coming out as well. Um, Nico Case, but I think the the one artist that this vocalist, Allison Crutchfield, reminds me most of is Jane Wheedlin oh. of the Go-Go's. The stories are fantastic. Uh -huh. It's her 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 delivery vocally. Um, it's the moodiness of the music. Uh -huh. uh, it's made for me. It's ah. like it's like I'm totally sold on it. In fact, I think you were playing uh, one of the tracks here yeah. uh, before we started yeah. in uh, this afternoon. These three albums, start to finish, I don't think there's a bad song on any of them. Mm -hmm. um, but other albums uh, that I've cherry picked songs off of that I would recommend. One of which is by John Mayer. I'm not a big John Mayer fan. Go ahead. Um, I'm I'm not of. I mean, he's a fantastic musician. Sure. And I found out uh, how great of a guitar player he was by catching him at the Troubadour once, guesting with um, Dave Stewart mm -hmm. had a, a gig with Orianti, who was to be uh, Michael Jackson's guitarist on that last oh, tour that right, never right, happened. Right, right, right. And so I got to see these guys and gals yeah. um, dueling guitars, and it's like this guy is a phenomenal musician. His music's not necessarily my thing. Okay, that's fine. Because he's, he's, you know, poppy. This new song yeah. that he put out, Love on the Weekend, yeah. is gorgeous. Yeah, and I don't, I'm not ashamed to, like, put that badge on that I'm listening to John Mayer. <laughs> hey, man. I think he did that, if I'm not mistaken, he did Studio B at Capitol. Uh, that is just one of the greatest rooms. And that... That recording console is a killer. I mean, I don't get really nerdy on the gear and stuff. But, yeah. Um, you know, you got to hand him credit, man. When he does something, he he's kind of a throwback in a weird way. And by the way, if you look up, uh, he was absolutely compelling when uh, on the times when he was, would uh, play with the Grateful Dead. Yeah, I actually caught that tour clearly, this last summer. Not to denigrate anything, anyone else on that stage, but clearly just really engaged and, and really uh, um, just when you want to use the word vitality. Mm-hmm. What he was doing in that material, very, very uh, special. And just really with reverence, but also trying to push it somewhere. Yeah. And um, that's what musician, true musicianship, if you dig deep down, that time and that spot, that's where you make your case. And I thought he did at that point. And then he comes back. And this is a very, very, very charming single. I, I really love it. This doesn't. This wouldn't have fit in in uh, a, the dead set list. Not that they no, make a no, set list. No, he's clearly versatile. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, his blue. I like this blues record a yeah. lot. That trio record. This is an interesting release in that he's releasing the songs in waves. I think there were about four songs like that it. came out digitally, and I like there's it going a lot. to be four more and then four more, and then eventually, I'm waiting for the physical piece because even if I don't like any of the other songs on this record. That one song is enough for me it's to buy the album, and I'll play that over you. and Good over. Good for you. So check that out. Um, 
There's another new artist um, named Ron Gallo that I, I discovered just about a month or so back. He's got a track called Young Lady, You're Scaring Me. And yeah. this guy's it's a very, pretty ferocious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I mean, it, it, it screams. Yeah, it, it does remind me of like he, he would have been a great CBGB's kind of artist. He, sure. he had a fantastic Pledge Music campaign, which I donated to. I got my pink vinyl signed. But he had other levels on the pledges where you could get... Uh, a lock of his afro in a jar, a mason jar. And I don't know if that would, you know, pass on any of his mojo to make you a better musician yeah. as well. I don't know. But uh, no, did he steal that from the lead singer of Midnight Oil? Did he? Oh, oh okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, on his website, he cites some of his influences uh, ranging from the Stooges, Minor Threat, and Mahalia Jackson. So check that out. Um, and then lastly, uh, w- one of the other new songs I'm really loving is Radio Kids by Strand of Oaks, um, which is an individual named Timothy Showalter. Mm-hmm. Um, I discovered him a couple Strand of Oaks albums ago with a uh, quiet little acoustic tune that reminded me so closely of Drive All Night off wow. the river. And I-, I thought, okay, that's just a fluke that I'm connecting that somehow. <laughs> sure. But this this song, Radio Kids, off the new record has a lot of energy, a lot of volume to it. And I'm feeling that same Springsteen tone of storytelling. And it, it would fit right in with like a Radio Nowhere kind of mm. song as well, you know? Yeah, well, it rocks. It certainly it, rocks. It does. So those are those are some songs I would I would recommend. Well, there you Gene, go. What, what else you got? What else do I got? Well, um, still digging into the new Dawes album. Yeah. My friend uh, Lee Pardini has, has, since, has since joined them, and he's all over the record uh, on keyboards. So I'm very proud of him. And... Um, Griffin, that's just kind of one of my favorite lyricists right now. Uh, so I'm I'm still digging into that. So if anybody gets near that that new Dawes record and it's, and it's, and their last one with it's the greatest album title of all time. May all your favorite bands stay together, oh, which could oh. be a side theme to this wow. to this show. Um, uh, so that's certainly something that uh, I'm very excited, and I'm still deeply entrenched in the uh, the latest Sturgill Simpson record. Con- congratulations, Sturgill! Yeah, it's great that he was getting that recognition. Yeah, exactly. That's that was a, that great Saturday Night Live ex- uh, um, performance too. By the way, that was. Oh, I didn't catch that. We were all in our hotel rooms texting each other. The band was kind of. Uh. Did you just see that? Did you just see that? Anyway, I'd like to take a moment to uh, thank a few people for, for this podcast. Yeah. Uh, for me, I want to start with my good friend Adam down in San Diego and his company, Satellite Amplifiers. Um, I've known Adam for about 20 years or so, and somewhere in that time, he started a, his own company making custom guitar and bass amplifiers. They also make guitar pedals. They're making their own guitars that they debuted at NAM. In the next episode, we'll talk about our NAM experience. Um, find out all that you can at satelliteamps.com and uh, tell them that Eugene Edwards and the Jukebox graduates sent you. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Also, did you did you have a chance, Gene, to listen to the uh, the new albums by Ty Seagal and Wesley Stace featuring the Jayhawks? I bet half of both albums. Yeah. And Ty, I don't know if he's still... He used to work every now and then at a record shop here in the neighborhood. I think at Permanent Records. I have to go... We should go by and see if... If he's hanging, because we should probably kidnap him like right now, like that. Yeah, or, or next month, <laughs> give him a, a head start so the, yeah. the, the kid can can run. We'll record at the shop. He's always like, oh, that'd be a good. Idea. <laughs> um, we'll be in the dad rock section. But yeah, as much as uh, well, in fact, the Wesley Stace. Uh, what's the title? Of the the rock and roll song I liked. I don't want to rock and roll. I don't want to rock and roll. So, and Stace is about our age, maybe a little older, and so it's about 
It's a purpose. He's at an age. He just mm-hmm. he's he's gonna hang. It's almost the the title kind of feels like a reference to the Chuck Willis uh, hang up hang up my rock, rock I don't want to hang shoes, up my yeah. rock and roll shoes. And certainly with the losses of 2016, the Chuck Prophet song that we heard, you kind of feel like wow, is the sand just running out on this whole thing that is or was rock and roll? Yeah. And then you get you get a Ty Siegel, and. And he makes his case, well, on every song he ever does, frankly. But as much as we might hear somebody talk about hanging up the gloves, if it were, there's a Ty Siegel or the band The Lemon Twigs, which which uh, I'll talk about more in the next episode, mm-hmm. um, that says, oh, my God, there's these young people who are just bursting with creative energy. And rock and roll happens to be the idiom by which they're going to let that energy out. And if you keep your eyes and ears open and your heart open, there's some young cats out there that'll they'll they'll, they'll get it done for you, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so, I, so I I love both records, and they're both appropriate for the people that have made those records. They have slightly divergent points of view, but they're both accurate. Mm-hmm. There's room for for both of those those things to happen. And and I would I actually put the the Strand of Oaks uh, tune somewhere in the same feel as the Ty Siegel record. Yeah, I get that too. Now. You know, yeah. um, and so they're both, if you just, if you need something to, to get, get off your ass and vacuum your house, I'd, I'd go with either the Ty Siegel mm-hmm. record or the, uh, or the radio kids by Strand of Oaks. Yeah. Yeah. Ty Siegel, he, uh, he's been making music for very prolific. Yeah. I think just since 2008, but I mean, you, you go on like discogs.com and you look at all, everything he's put out, yeah. all the albums, all the singles, all the yep. split EPs. It's crazy. There's one that was uh, that I love that came out just a couple of years back called Mr. Face. It was a, a double seven inch EP that came on red translucent and blue translucent vinyl, and it came with a set of 3D glasses. <laughs> oh wait, actually no, I take that back. The vinyls were supposed to be you the 3D the, glasses. You hold the That's right, because yeah. the cover had that had that 3D look. That's what it was. And yeah. Anyway, not only was it great gimmicky packaging that I am all about, mm-hmm. but the tracks on there were fantastic. And this new record I, I really enjoy, too. By the way, uh, going back to Henry Rollins, uh, this is the other thing that he threw out there uh, during his spoken word gig was that um, he talks about all these kids that bring him demo tapes and CDs all the time. Hey, can you listen to this? Can you do this? And he encourages them, just take this, put it away, keep playing, keep practicing. And in a year, take that out and listen to it. And did you get any better? Did that's you get right? That's what you got to do. But he says, but all day long, I'll take anything that Ty Segal puts out. <laughs> you know, and he's all, he's absolutely my favorite artist right now. Oh, that's it. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. This is Wesley Stace and you are listening to the Jukebox Graduate.
of sea All that's left is salt and leaves Before it gets too late Let's evaporate We'll vapor you and me A disappearing act Rising in the atmosphere And falling That was Let's Evaporate from the new album, Wesley Stace's John Wesley Harding on Yep Rock Records, uh, featuring the Jayhawks, a very interesting backing band. I was always fine with them being just the Jayhawks. But I know. They, they, but, they, but, you know, they've always been sympathetic players. That's part of what the, that's why the yeah. Jayhawks sound the way they do. Yeah, it makes sense. They know how to follow a singer and great lyrics. They've been doing it for themselves. Why not? Absolutely. You know, and uh, we're going to get, we'll get Wesley on the, the program next time he's back in the LA area. But in the meantime, I just did a Q&A with him, which I'll include a link to on the uh, show notes page. Um, lots of great detail about the making of this record sure. and how it came together with the Jayhawks. And mm-hmm. of course, I had to throw a Springsteen question in there too. So go check that out. <laughs> uh, we'd like to thank uh, a couple people, of course, Wesley Stace and uh, the fine folks at Yep Rock Records and, right. and Red Eye. Thanks, Yep Rock. Well... Uh, we got to start wrapping it up. Uh, we, uh, you can find us on the web at thejukeboxgraduate.com. And also you can find us on the same name on Facebook. On Facebook. And again, check out the Spotify playlists once we get them up. Um, so what, what I, I told Dave what I wanted to do with this, with this thing, I thought was a good idea. Since we're the Jukebox graduates, if we end each episode with uh, 
by quoting a lyric that means something to us. And uh, if you want to find out where we grab the lyric, you have to go to our website and find out. Dave, you go first. Without a song, the day would never end. Without a song, the road would never bend. When things go wrong, a man ain't got no friend. Without a song. I'm Dave Rayburn. But anyone who has a heart would want to turn around and break it. And anyone who ever played the part, he wouldn't want to turn around and fake it. I'm Eugene Edwards. We're the Jukebox Graduates. <laughs>